Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. The Sweet East is the movie that we're talking about today on this episode of Extended Clip. It is episode 255, and I am your host, Eddie Averill, and we are here with the writer, director, cinematographer, the uh, the creative duo taking the film scene by storm on this one. <laughs> Nick Pinkerton and Sean Price Williams, what is up, guys? Hi, how you doing? Not much. <laughs> we're going to release our movie tomorrow, see if anybody likes it. I think it's tonight. Well, I guess tonight. I don't know. I don't understand. We've been telling everybody December first, and yet we've shown the movie tonight. That's the midnight. It used to be on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Well, they used to do the midnight releases, uh, which count like Thursday midnight counts. But then I, I don't know why they started, you know, branching that out to like six p.m. on Thursday. I would love this to be a midnight movie eventually someday. I hope so. So the first thing I wanted to ask you guys about was something I was thinking about throughout the whole movie. Uh, and it's the way that our protagonist kind of like uh, recycles things that other people say. And it reminded me of the big Lebowski, for example, when he hears the, uh, this aggression will not stand and uh, things like that throughout the Cohen filmography. And it kind of just, you know, th that combined with the fact that the film seems very uh, upfront about America, it made me think about just the history of American cinema and the way you guys obviously bring in like the Griffith like inner titles. And, uh, and I wanted to know, were you guys like going out to make something about American storytelling or is that just something that happens along the way? Uh, Nick and I are just such big movie geeks and that's how we kind of found each other. So there was not going to be any question of like uh, whether or not we were making movies for movie. I mean, whatever. It's it's not what to, it's not the purpose of the movie, but you know, it's how we met each other. So it's it's you know, it's it's at the core of our friendship and alliance and creative sort of like you know inspiration, I guess. But it's not a movie about movies. I would say rather than being a movie about America, it, it happens to be shot there, and it happens. Mm -hmm have American characters in it who are in some ways maybe peculiarly American, but I think many of the sort of same tendencies that you see in the movie exist elsewhere, a sort of conser conservative uh, rural uh, yeah. thing, a somewhat more uh, progressive or uh, left-leaning urban thing. Um, these are hardly unique to the United States. And I would really be saddened to find that people respond to the movie as some kind of allegory and that, you know, each of the characters is a placeholder symbolic of some entire group. And hopefully there is enough individuality to all of the characters that they're not taken as symbolic of some you know, entire tendency. Mm -hmm. There's an interview with David Lynch that I recall uh, around the time of Blue Velvet, where he says something to the effect of, you know, the Isabella Rossellini character, Dorothy, you know, uh, you know, people would uh, talk about, you know, what, what is David Lynch saying about women with this character? And he says something to the effect of, I'm not trying to say, I wasn't trying to say anything about women, 
I was trying to describe a woman, this, you know, individual. And I hope in every case it is a film about individuals uh, rather than about broader social tendencies. Here's a movie. Here's a nerdy movie. Our film isn't about America. Our film is America. <laughs> that's a that's a couple of said like about Apocalypse now, yeah, like press conference thing or whatever. Yeah. Such an idiotic thing to say. (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of uh, Lynch, how'd you get linked up with Dean Hurley? Uh, Dean and I went to school together in in Baltimore. Oh, Uh, shit. Yeah, he came in. He was like maybe two years behind me. He actually graduated. I dropped out. But he, yeah, so I worked at Film Cage. You know, where like you got all the equipment and, and Dean come in. Dean looked like he was about Dean looks right now, he looks like he's about twenty-two. Back then he looked like he was like nine. And uh there was this <laughs> kind of curious, quiet kid that came in and uh and yeah, and then I you know, I guess you know he, when we were doing I didn't know that, you know, that I didn't really remember those days, you know. But then when we were doing the sound mix, he was reminding me of all these movies that I showed him, and uh, we actually went. We actually went to New York together, which I had no memory of. Like I took him to Kim's video or something like you know, crazy in the nineties. Um, so that's that. Uh, you know, it was it was, uh, it was like a really great reunion, and the guy is so brilliant. And the, the sound mix experience was one of the best creative experiences I've ever had. It made me want to make a movie again right away. But the guy is brilliant, and you know he was whipping out tunes when we needed him. Like, just give me five minutes in the other room. Um, yeah, very, very, very fortunate. And but yeah, it was it, like everything else. This I was like, do you think I'm going to write to Dean? I don't have no idea. Is he going to do it? What he, he's got so many better things <laughs> to do. I'm sure of it. But um, yeah, it was just another gift. It's kind of we got making this movie. I'm, I'm so glad you asked about uh, Dean because you know in doing uh, doing the publicity rounds for the film I'm seeing as a you know as a critic journalist myself certain tendencies that I'm probably guilty of myself which is focusing so much attention on the director uh maybe to a lesser degree the screenwriter but you know I think Dean's contribution is so enormous to the film and it's almost upset me in reading what reviews have come along that nobody addresses the sound design and that's part it of is. course that's got to be critics watching it on their laptop like a screener that's just you know if you can't hear the sound design on this you're not going to comment on it probably because it is a very remarkable job by him yeah yeah because uh, you know when i when um when there's a, when we when we play in the theater and people are talking to me after usually there's a, there's there's ref- there's comments on the sound you know and the music and this and that but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not being written about so much, but it is it is part of the experience, especially on the theater. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 the movie, you know, I'm a guy who is always the DP and, uh, you know, not the director. And, and to think that it is just the director that makes movies, the movies, obviously something that I get, I was a, I'm a little allergic to. And I, and I really wanted to with this movie. You know, I want to make sure everyone gets all the credit and that it is it's such a group thing, you know, making a movie. And, and it's, a, it's boring how little attention is given to yeah. other departments, especially production design and things like that. I mean, these are, you know. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I make my living in art department shit, so you don't have to tell me. But uh, yeah, like, I, I, people. 
I, I thought it was a great scene later on where the guy she ends up, uh, you know, helping out, hide her out toward the end. Uh, he's a PA or whatever, struggling to put up an easy up. And then I think it's Keith Poulsen who's like, oh, help her, like, uh, help him like you're helping him, you know? They're both just staring at him. And it was so funny because it's the underside, kind of the cynical, not the uh, movie magic kind of thing that people really see in films that depict film production. So I was glad to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Keith is one of our best friends, one of my best friends. He's the fucking yeah, man. I think, I think people often wonder why Keith shows up in every single New York indie. And it's because he's such an amiable, good hang guy that it just immediately improves the energy on set if you've got Wilson wandering around or something. And, and usually they make him play a jerk just because that's like really funny because it's just not who he is. So. Yeah, I think the first conversation I had with him, he just told me that he didn't act and he just had friends that made movies. And I was like, that's the life. That's that's how you got to approach it. When you see certain actors that just like show up oh, a million times, like character actors back in the day, you realize it's just oh, because they were really like good guys that people like to have around. So right. that's why you see some of these actors like character actors not not leading actors going back to the sound stuff uh, i know like you said dean hurley was whipping out some tunes nick you are credited on a title track in uh this film was that inspired by clint eastwood writing the song and singing it for gran torino um well that came about in the script uh the character Annabelle is doing Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry yeah. at karaoke. And as it turned out, the Marley estate are some real sons of bitches. <laughs> so I think actually it was while we were doing our like scout, we you know drove and looked at various uh, locations and we were listening to like the most dunderheaded yes. rap rock shit, like Judgment Night soundtrack. You know the entire way so uh <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, were both, we were both kind of high on rap rock yeah <laughs> I mean, I like, oh, bob marley i'm gonna write my own rap rock song that'll be the uh karaoke tune and, and it worked for me because rap rock is 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 to me like one of the worst uh, genres of music that ever mm. accidentally happened it's like a little diarrhea squirt, you know, in the, in the pop but culture. We were, we were both vibing very well. We were, we were having such a great time with this shit, and it was actually like, no, actually, actually, this is good. Like, yeah, the yeah. Judgment Night soundtrack, and uh, but but it's the kind of alienating music that makes sense for why uh, Lillian would just fucking need to walk out of that room, you know, like this obnoxious performance of yeah. shitty. Music. Yeah, Nick Nick wrote that thing. It is. That is a lot of words in that fucking song yeah. too. Um, <laughs> and Annabelle, the, the actress, uh, she not this time, she 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 memorized it and did perform it. Great. I will say the uh, the entire demo version I did put online, and I encourage people to uh, check it out. It has wordplay that I'm extremely fond of. It's meant to be a sort of California girls, <laughs> but for the East Coast, and about how great it is to fuck girls in different parts of the Eastern <laughs> Seaboard. My main bitch, ah, a banger, banger main. Good. <laughs> I do get it. Um, yeah. You know, rap rock has gotten people to direct movies before. Fred Durst has a couple films under his belt. Uh, Rob Zombie has a couple films under his belt. You know, it's a it's a pathway to success. Yeah, yeah. What's the last yeah. Durst film? Uh, the Fan, the one with Travolta. Really strong. But speaking of Clint Eastwood, this is one of the things that Nick and I really, uh, Nick loves Clint. You know, he's yeah. a big Clint guy. 
And I just, and I just, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's one of the things we'll argue about actually. Really? Even like his artistry as a director, you can't get into it. I mean, I don't even think he's directing anymore. I think somebody else <laughs> is doing it so, because every once in a while, I like one of these new movies of his and I yeah. think it can't possibly be him. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a wizard behind there. Yeah, you think someone else got behind the camera to shoot those two threesomes in the mule? American Sniper has got too much muscle for that man to have made. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. That movie is like getting a fucking Punisher skull tattooed on your forehead. It's crazy. I uh, yeah. love it. Speaking of movies that feel like getting something awful tattooed on you. All right, we're, we're back in on the pod. Uh, I had to take a break there for uh, censorship reasons. We are back. And I wanted to talk about the first image we see is Evil Knievel. Uh, that is sick because that's like one of the first things I remember from my childhood is my dad giving me an Evil Knievel uh, action figure and like a Lego set. And I, I just wanted to know, like, why was that the first image you wanted people to see in this movie? We had originally some other stuff in the beginning, and then, yeah. and then we go like I had a whole very very elaborate, really stupid introduction to the film that that uh, just it was just too it just was not worth it. It was just not yeah. worth keeping ultimately. So I was like, why not just start on even Knievel? Okay, yeah, great. Because yeah, I mean, to me, he's like the uh, he's kind of the ultimate American bonehead. You know, like he is just yeah, you know, he's got the stars and stripes kind of a confederate configuration but um and you know and he's just like i'm gonna do i'm gonna succeed in doing the most worthless death you know yeah every stunt is this there's no brain behind it you know other than like can we can i do this and not die and it's, it's there's something just beautiful about that and it, there is i feel like he's pretty you know, a, definitely a figure from the from another time. You know, definitely when I was a kid, all of us when we were kids back then. It's just like, oh my god, Evil Knievel, the coolest guy. Like, what on earth? Cool about that? But and yeah, you, no. you, you interviews with him, and just like, and he's like, you know, the, yeah. Anyway, he's, I just, he I love was like guy. pushing his son into the same shit too, right? Oh, yeah, Knievel, like um, some of the most right, psycho shit. Yeah, have, no, you ever, I, have you seen the film he stars in? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. That with Gene Kelly, that with Gene Kelly, that's right. Yeah, and, and, that, and that footage, that footage, I you know, this is like, yeah, actually, originally in the uh, credits, I got talked out of it, but in the um, in the cinematography credit in the opening credits, I Linda uh, Linda Evans was included because Linda Evans was dating John Derrick at the time, and John Derrick was doing this Evil Knievel, but he was covering the event. And he had his, you know, girlfriend Linda Evans operating the slow mo camera uh, for the landing, and that's Linda Evans, you know, later of television, great television fame. She's the one who got that shot, which is to me like just one of the. I just I, I can watch that shot on loop for hours. I don't know why. And then when you when you really see all of it, the bike kind of starts to come towards the camera. So you see like the mechanisms of the bike coming out. It's like Transformers, you know, it's like Michael Bay, you know, Transformers. It's just a beautiful thing. You see her. Like having a hard time operating and catching it. I just think it's such a great shot, and, and it's a yeah, and it's, it's it's a great American you know fallacy. I I, I want to throw in, and I don't know if I ever even brought this to your desk, Sean. I think I may have, but at one point, my idea for the thing that was going to be on the television was a kind of Zucker Brothers style parody film 
that Alordi's character would be starring in. Um, and the one gag you would see was uh, Paul Revere uh, on his on his famous ride going, the red coats are coming, the red coats are coming, and then there'd be a cut to a red coat shooting cum. Uh, it's an extremely stupid idea. Yeah, that's definitely worthy of Scary Movie 3 and 4. Would- In the back of my head, it was that the Alordi character would have had a sort of Simon Rex-like career arc. Yeah. Start out. If we had had a couple more days with, uh, with Jacob, maybe we could have done that. The Led Zeppelin shirt I want to talk about because I feel like just people will throw out like, oh, it's 70s American cinema vibes, and it's just like, I, I would like some more specific things, uh, you know, uh, but I, I do feel like there were a lot of both like very specific and broad gestures toward the 70s as like an aesthetic time period between, uh, you know, the the filmmaking com the filmmaking duo and the Led Zeppelin shirt and all these different like aspects that throw back to that era. Sean and myself are both kids of the 90s and we both yep. have Led Zeppelin shirts. Yeah, well, that's, first of all, that shirt is very specifically the... Uh, the T-shirt of the, the the box set that came out in 1990, Cody. I believe. So it's the idea is that well, that, first of all, that was the shirt that I wore through high school. Probably when I was on my DC trip, I was wearing that shirt, and I love it. I love the back of it. It's just such a cool picture on the back. Uh, but yeah, the, the idea is like this is like a shirt that her dad, who would be a guy my age, probably had, you know, and she took that. It was not it's not a classic 70s Led Zeppelin shirt. It's the 1990. Yeah. 1990- Cassette box set <laughs> released. You know. in, in the script, uh, the shirt is the Zoso Wizard shirt. Which yeah, was the one that I had, and Sean uh, taking the director's imperative made <laughs> box set that he had. Yeah, so, so yeah, that didn't I, have nudity. Yeah, I don't want to do like uh, you know seventies. We're not doing a seventies movie. I get like a little bummed out by this sort of like you know because it's, it's yeah I, you know whatever. Yeah, I love a lot of seventies shit, including music still. But I mean I'm probably, you know I don't I don't want that to be defining the aesthetic of the film or anything like that. But I mean yeah. we did shoot on sixteen millimeter, maybe that's retro or something, but I mean it's just what I'm comfortable with. Cause you've shot a ton of formats, Super Sixteen, Thirty Five, all that shit. Do you just feel like at home on Super Sixteen or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only done like two movies on thirty five and I don't know why we did thirty five. It didn't even really <laughs> make any sense because we ended up like uh doing two perth and then it's like okay well you're almost 16 millimeter but the camera is like twice the size you know it's, mm-hmm. uh, what you I mean, uh I, yeah I, I love i love just being nimble with an aton 60 millimeter camera it's like it's it's, it's a perfect camera yeah um, absolutely me, yeah and uh i was doing my own focus which is a bit boneheaded uh but i did and it was a decision. I was watching Jess Franco movies before we shot. I was watching oh, a lot yeah. of Jess Franco. But like in the later 70s, again, 70s, fuck. That's the 80s Jess Franco movie. But he's <laughs> yeah. operating because it's his, it's his girlfriend in front of the camera. So he's like zooming in on her bush and, you know, like holding on her like elbow and things like that. And that's like, that's a director, cameraman, focus puller doing that. You know, that's so that's what I want to do. <laughs> Have you guys seen uh, The Erotic Rights of Frankenstein by Jess Franco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great like snap zoom on Frankenstein's ass in that that like has not left my mind in eight years. Yeah, since yeah, yeah. That's so probably funny. just operating. That's probably just operating himself. I'm not sure, but yeah. So fucking funny. He's a, he's a real. I, I don't believe in auteurs. You know, I'm talking about like you know, is a director 
the one making the movie alone. Like it's not usually true. It's still like, you know, it's why like, how did this great director make such a bad movie? It's because it's not just one guy, you know, it's everybody's it's combination. It's like, you know, magical combinations of people that sometimes go right, sometimes go wrong. Just Franco though is kind of proof that, that there is one voice maybe sometimes. And you, you know, you can't, I, I can't isolate a movie of his. It's like just a body of work more than anybody else. So in a way he is to me, the consummate, artist filmmaker or something almost no I, I love to hear it he's one of the few directors you can uh, say that about and also watch some of their videos on uh well vi their films on sites where you usually watch adult videos <laughs> oh yeah no you got you get your jess franco and your Simon lang on on x hamster let's yeah. fucking go yeah i had a question for nick from an anonymous listener he asks which breezy brisbane rascals film brings you the most joy that's owen klein yes it is <laughs> and uh, you can tell them fuck off i don't want to talk about the little rascals we only have 40 minutes here <laughs> well funny funny i was uh i was doing my taxes with my accountant he likes to have have me there while he does my taxes and uh and for, it was like about four hours i was in his office and he kept bringing up different little rascals that like in their <laughs> deaths you know and it became, I had like eight tabs open of just like all these little rascals that had crazy deaths when they were like little. And I was like, I was like, wow, what a like that's like the most haunted program <laughs> there ever was. But I had no idea so many. I had a, I had a kind of technical question about how you guys did a couple things here. Uh, one was when she goes to that kind of I don't know how you describe them crust punk, uh, you know, far left radical whatever that hideout at first, and the dude is like. Uh, manipulating the footage with what looks like an SP-404. Uh, was any of that like done on set or was that all post or what was going on there? We had we had our art department um, geniuses. One of their brothers does video, like video art stuff. So we had him come up with something. And then uh, and then we add, and then uh, Jackson, who, Jackson, who's one of our PAs on the film, he's also an incredible visual artist. I had him come up with some pizza-related uh video stuff and then we kind of you know just put a lot of it together and, and steven our editor put it put it together uh in the and i wasn't i have to say i wasn't um really in involved with that part mm -hmm. i kind of like let them do it and then i just enjoyed the hell out of what they did so i just i thought it was vital and necessary that cinema should have a uh, post internet artist represented in it i don't know that uh I don't know that uh, other films really touched on this. Yeah, just post internet. Yeah, we haven't got there. Yeah, all the, the device he's using was uh, the, the house where we were shooting that in Tarantula Hill in Baltimore. It's uh, it's a music music place. You know, musicians yeah. live there, and, and so so they, that was like a thing that was there. Yeah, it's we, like a sampler. Yeah. That's why I, yes. I was wondering if you guys rigged it to do video shit or if that was. Yeah, no, I would yeah. love to. I would love to have been so good, but. Uh, the other thing was with it when uh, she's going on a walk toward the end at that hideout that turns out to be this like religious goon cave thing. Uh, there's this weird like waterfall background kind of thing. I was wondering, was this like a matte background? Uh, the the scene where the character tells her and God created all of this, you know, matte background, uh, green screen. What was going on there? Yeah, it's this thing called the Schufton process, um, which was like, you know, in Metropolis, used in Metropolis and yeah. so it's more of a silent thing. It's actually something that's very simple if you're in a, st a studio in a controlled environment to use. What it is, is it's a mirror. You're shooting into a mirror 
and the mirror is reflecting, you know, something behind the camera. But then if you cut a hole in the mirror, so what we did is we cut a hole in the mirror and we had the actors far in the distance walk into that hole and there's a painting behind the camera. Now we did no preparation for this. We didn't have like, we didn't measure out the right size to make the, the print. Uh, we didn't measure the mirror. Or did, we did nothing that you're supposed to do. Um, so there's like, there was like a focus issue and all this, but we made it work. We, we, we slightly, um, focused the, the painting in post and we made the waterfall like move. Yeah. But you know, the hole and everything that's like, that's all just, that's how it was. It was in camera. It was really important. That was the first day of shooting. So we were basically, um, doing this kind of insane, unprepared effect on the first day in front of the entire crew. You know, which which could have made us look like total idiots, but at least it made us look like, you know, guys who were having fun playing and trying to figure things out, which I think opened that really uh, opened up to the crew and showed them that, that, that what kind of movie we were making and that everyone, everyone's an, everyone's a participant mm -hmm. <laughs> and no one and no one's right or wrong in this one. I should I should add the script has very little in the way of visual direction in it, but that was one of the one of the few pieces of visual direction with a reference to the painting that is that backdrop painting, um, which is by a Hudson Valley artist called Atrophy Durand. And when we were getting ready to go upstate and shoot this scene, it was obvious that nothing that looked like that painting was going to be available. And I had very recently got a DVD commentary track for Alfred Hitchcock's The Ring that has several shut ten shots in it. So it was sort of fresh in my mind. And I pulled that out of my ass. And again, this is the kind of production where we were open to you know, I wrote I wrote it in an interview recently too, but like um I, I wish I mean Matt Matt the Matt technology is just such a, a beautiful thing that people don't <laughs> use anymore. And I think it's such a bummer. And um I mean, we grew up with it, you know, Spielberg, every time there's a nighttime shot and there's a shooting star, I mean, it's a map, you know, I, I, you know how many filmmakers I work with that say, how can we wait? Why can't you see the stars? You know, we're shooting on film like, because that's because you're not that's you're not going to get that's not, you know, I'm trying to explain that to people. Um, but yeah, the map, that whole map thing is just, it's a way of visualizing scenes and stuff that's lost. Um, Why do you said Spielberg because I immediately started thinking of the Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, you know, like rear screen projection stuff too. You watch Blu-rays of the movies from the eighties and like Aliens, for example. So much of that is is, is this like you know, see, we're we were standing in front of a rear screen projection, which I know concept. But this, this is, I love these these uh, you know kind of uh, now even that's like almost old fashioned. And I, I think at, at certain points there was even more kind of obsolescent film grammar, like iris, iris ends, and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I'd love to see all that kind of come back because because yeah, if everybody's just if everybody's just thinking digitally, then you know it's kind of a the sameness that comes with that. No, yeah, I mean, there's obviously new digital tools to use, but it's like why not look back at history to kind of inform how you're going to use those new tools. One thing I wanted to also ask about was the beginning of the movie, uh, because it feels so much more like chaotic and gonzo kind of leading up to, I guess in television terms, in the cold open of the film before the uh, the title cards come up. And I, I just wanted to know, like, kind of the creative process b behind figuring out how you wanted to play all of that, like the DC trip scene being so, I don't know, uh, rapidly cut 
all over the place. I feel like there's not a shot that holds for longer than a second. And then it's a lot more relatively locked down after that, including the, uh, the long take of her singing into the mirror over credits. So how do you guys conceive of that? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like the, you know, her with the, with her peers from where she comes from is hell. And these are hellish. These are, they, you know, it's just kind of hell to her. These these, these loud mouth, but it's all she knows. It's all she's been around. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's a little risky to start the movie with kind of very obnoxious film grammar and then just, you know, bad music and this and that. Um, and then when she goes to the bathroom and she's finally alone, that's when she's like, oh, God, you know, shuts that noise out. And she has her and she has her own movie that she's kind of like in there, you know, and she's got her, she's a musician. She's whatever she could dream of at that moment in this horrible little bathroom. And that's where she's at when, when everything takes off. So that that's 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 the simple explanation. It had to be unpleasant where she's coming from and who she's been exposed to. Did you throw in some like digital shots in there or like other formats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff? We, gave, we gave the camera to one of the um, I, I don't want to say extras, but I guess we have one of these the kids uh, and uh, and we used it. Yeah. No, that was awesome. I wasn't sure because the screener link, you can't really tell the format changes too well. But uh, yeah, no, that was awesome. And also, I want to say, Sean, you've filmed people singing on camera multiple times. Let's just say there's many instances of this. And I don't know, is is there something weirdly vulnerable about that compared to other modes of like just other days of production? Like, how does that go about like whether it's the uh, the intro of Golden Exits or this one? What were those days like on set? Because I don't know why when I watch movies like that, I just feel like it must be so much harder to kind of lock things down and get serious. Yeah, I mean, to get to get an actor's um response to that would be more interesting than what i'm going to say but yeah. definitely so we so she recorded that we recorded that in the studio and then she just you know lip synced to it yeah. um when we did that but uh yeah i mean i think actors feel very um exposed when they say i did this movie t- uh tesla with with ethan hawk and oh, ethan yeah. hawk says he does karaoke in that to uh tears for fear song and he was so nervous that day it was very funny because we're like you know ethan hawk like why would you be but he felt very vulnerable and very exposed just standing there in front of the camera for three minutes just singing a song. I mean, to him, it was the hardest thing for sure in the, in the film. And, and so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I I don't, whenever we go to karaoke parties, I have to be completely drunk if I'm going to sing. I mean, to me, it is like a very, but, but, yeah. and, but I was excited to propose the idea to Ty because she's comfortable singing and she likes singing. And uh, we've actually recorded some songs since then, you know, just fun songs. And she likes to, she loves to sing, so it actually was really exciting for her when when we proposed that, which is which was pretty late in the production, actually. And yeah, and we we have a triple threat on our hands, so you know, why not yeah. give her a song? Why yeah. not give her some some dance scenes? Yeah, and also my friend Paul wrote wrote the music, and I I'm always eager to get his music in anything I'm doing. All right. Well, I think that is going to just about wrap it up here uh, as we bump up on our limit here. Uh, Sean, Nick. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast and talking to me for a while. It was a blast. Yeah, man. Good questions. Our pleasure. Enjoy Philadelphia. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'd love and to you have know, you we're guys not that far. We're going we're, we're to be down there. Well, yeah, we're, oh, yeah. We're going to be down in Philadelphia. Uh, what is it? 19th? Yeah, the 19th or something like that. So, 19th January, PFS Bourse. No, no. December. It's no. December, yeah. Oh, that's right. December yeah. in Philadelphia. So we got to get some people there. All right, you heard that extended clip, listeners. Philadelphia, roll out. Um, all right, guys, that was awesome. I'll leave you guys be now. Peace out. Yeah, later.
lots of right. real estate here in my bag So we bought a pack of cigarettes And this is when 